0: Tell me what you really think and know the issues with Lisa alone. where the best informed win and the uninformed fail. Tonight, I want to talk about a topic most would rather I didn't. It is something many people try to ignore because they feel it is too painful to think about or because they feel it will never hit close to home or they try to deny or criminalize it. Today's topic is Suicide.
1: Uh, So back in the late 1970s, uh, a good friend of mine named Adina Robleski lost her daughter. It was actually her stepdaughter, but really much, much, much more like a, a daughter to her, lost her uh, daughter to suicide. And at the time, there nobody really talked about this anywhere, and she couldn't find any resources, any information. Um, she didn't have anybody to talk to, and she felt the the, the terrible stigma and shame of suicide uh, that, that existed then and, and in part still exists today. Um she uh, started talking about this uh, very quietly and then far more publicly. Uh, she started um, doing research to understand suicide as much as she could. Uh, and then she started doing groups around the, the Twin Cities uh, where she would offer opportunities for others who had lost people to suicide uh, to come and talk about it just very informally. Uh, she then brought together a group of, uh, five or six others who had lost someone to suicide, a, a daughter, a son, a, a spouse, and, uh, they decided to formalize, uh, an organization and call it SAVE, Suicide Awareness Voices of Education, and the, the goal, uh, was to really be able to put a voice to, um, this issue of suicide. Uh, and she, uh, uh, Adina Robleski was the, uh, first person to run the organization, although it was all volunteer run for the first 10 years. Uh, and there was a board of directors and, and several volunteers. Uh, and then, uh, we unfortunately lost Adina to, a, a brain tumor and, uh, 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 because I was friends with her. As a matter of fact, Adina and I used to talk about creating an organization like SAVE even before SAVE existed. We used to go to health fairs around the community and, and uh, talk about could there be something like this? And so since I was connected to Adina, uh, and I had worked in hospitals and clinics where I brought SAVE in, um, it was a natural fit for me to come here and, and take over. It was a very small organization, uh, really just a, a, a local organization uh, with the goal of building SAVE into a, a national uh, organization with many programs and, and lots of things that could help people.
0: That was the CEO of SAVE. Dr. Daniel Reidenberg. SAVE was one of the nation's first organizations dedicated to the prevention of suicide. For 30 years, with more than 20 charters, SAVE has been the leading national organization working to prevent suicide through public awareness, education, and as a resource for suicide survivors. On their website's resources, save.org, Is a list of suicide statistics such as in 2020, 45,979 Americans died by suicide. There is one suicide death in the United States every 11.5 minutes. There are approximately 1,149,475 Attempted suicides every year in the United States Using a 25 to 1 ratio or one attempt every 27.5 seconds But I want you to keep in mind each number represents a life But one of the most surprising statistics I found Is that women suffer depression twice as often as men yet there are 3.9 male deaths by suicide for each female death by suicide. Why is that?
1: Um, more males die by suicide than do females. Uh, about three, to, well, we, we lose about four males to every one female. Uh, females attempt suicide uh, three to four times as often as do males. So we have more females attempting, more males dying. We know that um, in early adolescence, um, as the brain begins to change and as hormones change, uh, for both males and females uh, they, it tends to result in far more uh, depression for females during adolescence uh, and, and as that continues on into early adole- early adulthood and even throughout adulthood um, uh, females tend to women tend to talk about their feelings far more they they express their emotions uh, more um, they acknowledge them more than than do males it doesn't mean that males aren't really struggling with depression because uh, in fact we Know that they do, it's just that they cover them up. Sometimes they cover them up by drinking, sometimes it's through um, sports and and more aggressive kinds of actions um, and and other uh, gambling, things like that. But we know that um, both males and females uh, experience uh, episodes of depression. Females tend to be a little bit higher uh, in adolescence. Uh, When you get into adulthood, it's it's pretty close to one to one prevalence across the country. Uh, But males, when they die by suicide, tend to, and have historically used, more lethal methods. Uh, they, they tend to gravitate towards firearms far more, uh, or doing things that, that hurt themselves far more lethally than females have tended to uh, gravitate towards less lethal means. Now, unfortunately, over the last five, maybe eight years or so, we've seen that start to change, and we've start to see females Um, using more lethal methods. But uh, still at this point in time, um, males die four times as often, females attempt three to four times as often, uh, and and we know that emotional issues definitely impact all of them.
0: Since COVID, has there been a shift in the demographics or the numbers of suicide?
1: Well, that's difficult to really know. Um, in 2019, we had a small drop in suicides, which was right prior to the, uh, the COVID pandemic. In 2020, we had a drop that was during COVID. Uh, the research isn't in yet to formalize exactly why I, I suspect that it had to do with people being very intentional about being connected to people, uh, increase in uh, telemedicine and in support systems that were available to people. Um, but mostly it was about people being intentional about checking in on people who were, who were struggling. Uh, unfortunately those, uh, two years of drops were, um, it's great that we had them. It's uncharacteristic. We've had rises really for the last 10 to 20 years in, in suicide rates. Um, however, the provisional data that came out a few months ago, this, this fall of uh, this summer of 2022, the 20 21 provisional data really showed an increase that um, overtook any of the, the declines that we had in the last two years. So while there was some decline in the early years of the pandemic, um, it has come right back. Uh, the projections are for the rest of 2021 and 2022 to be higher in terms of numbers of deaths by suicide. In terms of attempts, um, we definitely know that there's been uh, a, an increase in reported attempts in hospitalizations, especially for youth. We also know that um, mental health challenges have really uh, come to the surface a lot during the pandemic. And that's really across the age spectrum, not just relative to youth. Youth have really struggled, uh, but it's it's also true for adults. So we've seen increases in, in thinking about suicide, uh, some increases in attempts, uh, and, and tragically some deaths, especially as we're seeing in the 2021 data.
0: From my own personal observations, I think that people still don't take depression or suicide as serious as they should until it hits close to home. I don't even think that many people know the signs of depression. Can you tell me what your website does and the resources you have available?
1: Sure. I mean, that that is exactly one of the things that our website does. If you go to save.org, S-A-V-E.org, you can find information on there uh, about mental health issues such as depression and some of the signs and symptoms. You can find out um, how to ask about suicide, what the warning signs are of suicide, uh, the risk factors and the protective factors. So there's a a wealth of information on there just about suicide and and, and the whole concept around it. Um, What we know is that... um, uh, there are a lot of people in our in our world that live with depression. Um, in, in in the United States, uh, estimates are somewhere between twenty and twenty-five million Americans uh, will live with a, a diagnosis of depression in any one year. Um, out of that twenty or twenty-five million, uh, we are going to have about forty-six or forty-seven thousand deaths by suicide, and out of that uh, 46 or 47,000 deaths by suicide, 50 to 60% of that are going to be as a result of depression. And it's not really depression alone, but depression will be a diagnosis that will be connected to that. So what that tells us is, is that you've got somewhere between 22 and 25,000 people a year that are dying by suicide that have some connection to depression, but you have 20 to 25 million living with depression. And what's really important for people to know and understand is that Um, depression is an illness, uh, depression is an illness that most people live with and function with and survive and thrive through, uh, for a small number of people, um, they don't and, and, and we do lose them or they struggle intensively. Uh, depression, uh, happens to us in normal life events. Uh, someone who is close to us, uh, dies of natural causes or, or aging or from some other illness. Um, and people get sad and they get upset. They lose a pet. They get sad and they get upset. They lose a job. Um, uh, just normal parts of life can cause depression, but most of us get through that, uh, whether it's a few days or a few weeks, they get through that. But if you have symptoms of, of emotional dysregulation, where you're feeling so sad that, that you can't function, you can't go to work, you can't go to school, you're feeling so exhausted that you can't get out of bed, uh, you have no energy, you have no interest in activities any longer, you don't find anything pleasurable, you don't you, you don't want to eat anything, nothing seems to taste good, or uh, you're crying quite a bit, um, you, you just want to you just want to sleep all the time. And then there's some, those are symptoms of depression. And then there's some that also think about suicide as they're depressed. Um, These things, when they get wrapped up into this, I can't function any longer. I can't engage in social activities, work activities, family activities. That's when we get really concerned about a diagnosable place that somebody might really need to, to talk to somebody. They might need medications. They might need alternative types of therapy. They might need uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. They might need lots of different things. But we know that the majority of people with depression, uh, a disease that does hit far too many people, can live through it and never become suicidal. For a small number, uh, it becomes very, very high risk of life and death.
0: Do you think that there is enough awareness of the signs of depression and having the tools to help somebody considering suicide?
1: Uh, really good question. Uh, when it comes to the warning signs of, about suicide and whether or not people display them, um, this is this is really hard, and it's really hard for those who are survivors of suicide loss, the, when they've lost someone to suicide, because we know that the majority of people that that died by suicide did exhibit some warning signs. The problem is, is that they don't do it very clearly or directly for people. So for example, um, they don't come right out and say, I'm gonna go take my life tomorrow at two o'clock in this way at this place. They're, They're not that clear about it. They may say things far more disguised, like everybody in my family would be better off if I wasn't around, or my team at work would be doing better if I wasn't here. And we don't see that as a warning sign um, we don't necessarily see them looking for ways to die. And yet we know that the people who do die by suicide look for ways to die. Um, uh, people that, uh, are suicidal, um, talk about feeling hopeless. They talk about having no sense of purpose any longer, no, no reason to be alive any longer. Um, when we, when we hear some of those things, the, the trouble is, is that they, The people that are suicidal don't tell all of us all of those things. They might tell one person one thing, and another person in another community, another state, another thing. And so it's very hard to put the pieces of the puzzle together of the warning signs that somebody might be suicidal.
0: Are the signs of depression different for people based on their age demographics, such as are the signs in teens different than somebody in their 40s, for example?
1: when it comes to, are the warning signs the same for adults and for youth? Um, some do overlap quite a bit. Um, uh, uh, communicating their intent to die, whether it's uh, di- directly or more indirectly, as I, as I mentioned, um, they do do that. Where, uh, what's different about a sense of, of, of um, uh, hope uh, and that sense of hopelessness is um, you, it, it's pretty it's pretty common that that adults will face times in their life where they feel kind of hopeless. But for a young person to talk about having no hope and no future when their whole life is out in front of them, that's a pretty significant warning sign. So we do see some differences uh, between adults and youth. There are a number of overlaps. Uh, You can find the warning signs for uh, suicide on our website at save.org. And we actually built a specific warning sign just for youth suicides that anybody can find at youthsuicidewarningsigns.org.
0: I know as a teacher, we always had meetings on how to recognize gang activity, but we never had a meeting to recognize if a student is showing signs of depression. How do we begin these conversations in the school setting?
1: So it's a really interesting question in terms of, you know, how do we get more conversation more dialogue going on about this in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces? And and how do we support that even financially, but even with, with the expertise to be able to do that? Um, these are challenging questions. Uh, there is far more conversation about mental health issues and suicide-related issues today than there was two years ago, definitely more than five and ten years ago, definitely more than when Adina Robleski um, thought of the idea around SAVE uh, back in the early 1980s. Far more conversation about that. And the pandemic has really, um, you know, kind of added to that that people need to talk about these issues. Um, so, so we are we are seeing young people talk about these issues far more. We're talking we're seeing some adults. Uh, we still really struggle to get schools to be interested in talking about this. Uh, we at Save I developed an evidence-based program uh, for schools for high schools called Leads, which is linking education and awareness of depression and suicide. Uh, we wanted to retest that uh, uh, on schools across the country. Uh, We reached out to over 50 schools across the country of all different sizes and shapes and all different communities. And the the schools were just not interested. Um, The schools were far more focused on academics uh, and trying to get the kids back after the the pandemic than uh, uh, integrating a three hour uh, suicide prevention curriculum. Uh, so some of it is just that, is, is we've, we've got to get schools to understand that uh, where kids are is a workplace for them, and that is where they spend the bulk of their time, and that's where many people are seeing them, far more than even when they go at home. Uh, when they go home. So, we need schools to, to better understand this. Um, I created a set of best practices for schools, key concepts that teachers need to learn. Uh, we do that training, we've done it here in, in other parts of the, the country, um, but it's very slow to get schools very interested in wanting to do that. Part of the issue is around money uh, and and politics, honestly. Um, If a school identifies a young person needing mental health care, um, uh, the the law requires that the school has to pay for that, and most schools don't want to do that. Uh, Especially there are situations across this country where families don't have insurance, and so when a school identifies that there might be a mental health challenge for a student, then the school is, is, is on the hook to pay that bill, and schools just don't have those kinds of resources especially with the need as great as it is. So we need uh, more training of teachers. We need more um, just public conversation about this. Uh, We need more students to be able to talk about this freely without fearing that um, they're going to get in trouble or it's going to get back to their parents or they're going to be sent to a hospital when they might not need that. And we need more funding at a federal level, at a state level, and at a local level. We need We need communities to invest more in all of these things to make sure that the the young people uh, today get the services that they need. And and it's it's true also at at, at the adult level. Um, if, If we actually look at the numbers of people who die by suicide in this country, out of 46 or 47,000, the vast majority of people that are dying are adults. They're middle-aged adults. The second highest group in terms of numbers are senior citizens. Really, it's it's those 65 and older and 85 and older. That's the second highest number of people dying. Young people that are 15 to 24 are the lowest number of people that are dying. They're the ones that get a lot of the media attention. They get a lot of the outpouring of, of emotional support um, when, when there's a crisis or when we lose someone, but they're the smallest number. So if we look at out of the 46,000 deaths, 6,000 being youth, that means 40,000 are adults. So we need to make sure that not only do our schools and our teachers um, and our parents have information uh, around those 6,000, that's a lot of youth, That a lot of lives, years lost. Um, We need to also make sure that this happens in workplaces and in homes for adults.
0: If you were in an elected office, what legislation would you introduce for suicide prevention and awareness?
1: Oh, there's there's so many things in, uh, legislatively that, that, that we could do. We, um, all the states across the country need funding to support 988, the National Suicide Prevention, National Suicide and Emotional Crisis Line. So we need funding to, to support the crisis centers that are taking the calls, the texts and the chats. Uh, for uh, adults and for youth that are reaching out for help. So we need funding for the 988. Uh, we need funding for training. Uh, we need legislative level funding and mandating of training for healthcare professionals, uh, whether you're talking about uh, doctors in emergency departments, nursing staff, social workers, psychologists, nursing. We, we, need, we need mandated training uh, and, and funding to support that, uh, as well as uh, teachers in schools.
0: With my magazine, Know the Issues with Lisa Valone, I highlighted a bill in South Carolina where they wanted to have each student ID have a suicide prevention number on it. Is this a good idea, and is this enough?
1: Um, we, you, you know, this issue um, has come up in, in many states around uh, putting the the National Lifeline logo and phone number on student IDs. Um, I, it's a great idea and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, Do I think that we absolutely have to have that? No, I I think that's an adult response to a a, a youth issue. Um, As adults, I think we think that a a young person is going to look at their badge and think that's the number to call. A young person is just going to go onto their phone and and they're going to know the information already or they're going to just Google it. Um, So do we need to put a lot of time and energy and money into mandating something like that? Again, it's not a bad thing doing anything to raise awareness and reduce stigma around this, improve access and, and uh, let people know where to go and how to get access to it. That's not a bad thing. Uh, it just wouldn't be my first priority of where, we, where we'd where be spending money. Uh, we also need to definitely increase bed capacity in hospitals. There needs to be a lot of funding to support that. Um, designated um, units, uh, e- even um, psychiatric and, and behavioral health units in hospitals, um, there's very few beds available, so we need to we need to do things around that for people. Um, uh, financial support for those that either don't have insurance or don't have enough insurance to be able to get the care that they need. So again, increasing access to support would be some of the top priorities uh, for for me if I were in that kind of role.
0: What is nine eight eight?
1: For the last um, 17 or 18 years, uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline has been providing um, suicide prevention care and and support for people who would call the lifeline. Uh, That number was 800-273-TALK. 800-273-8255. And while the number still exists, it's not being promoted any longer. And we don't talk about it any longer. Um, because in, in July, uh, of, of this year, July 14th of 2022, um, the federal government rolled out 988, uh, 988, uh, was, is a very easy number to remember. Uh, and it's been a broadened number. So it's not just around suicide crisis, although it is a suicide and emotional crisis line. Uh, um, very similar to 911, but for an emotional uh, related situation, not necessarily uh, something that you would call 911 for. We know that there's some real benefits to having a, a national number like this. Not only is it easy to remember, especially for people who are in a, a, a psychological crisis, uh, a long number is hard to remember, especially the number that it used to be. But not everybody that calls. Uh, the the 911 needs police response and, and in some populations in some communities for example the African-american community the Native American community um, having police response isn't a good response so um, having 988 um, which uh, gets people to trained counselors that can help them uh, navigate through whether or not they need to go to a hospital or whether they just need a referral to a mental health crisis uh, uh, response uh, is is a much Better uh, system. Now, it's going to take some time actually for us to build 988 into uh, what 911 is. It took about 20 years for 911, 20 or 25 years for 911 to become uh, what it is and what it's known for, and in how it responds and to be running as efficiently as it does. 988 is brand new. It's, it's a mere matter of months old. Um, so we have capacity issues that, that we're addressing. We have trading issues that we're addressing, standardization issues across the system. Um, there's funding issues for, for 988. Um, there, there are a host of other issues that, that are going to take some time for it to roll out, but, Um, This is federally legislated, uh, and the FCC has designated 988 um, uh, for this new line, Uh, and and it does provide um, really quick and easy access to people um, who who need that care.
0: What do you think is the scariest part about starting a conversation about suicide awareness and prevention?
1: Well, I think the one thing is that um, I, I think when it comes to this issue, it, it is so scary to people, and, and they, they don't think that they're the ones to be involved. So they don't ask the question. Uh, they they they, they, they want to believe it's somebody else, or they want to believe it's some other doctor somewhere, or, or something like that. And the reality is, is that we don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough psychologists. Um, to, to be able to help, and they're not always accessible, uh, especially in remote areas. Um, we need everybody to understand that we all have a role to play in suicide prevention. We can all be good listeners. We can all be compassionate people, um, and and people need to know that asking somebody about suicide doesn't increase their risk. We have a lot of research that tells us it doesn't increase their risk. It doesn't lead them down that path. In fact, it might be the thing that saves their life. So everybody. Needs to be able to know that they can do it and they, they have to do it when somebody's at risk. If, if you were um Uh, walking down the street and you saw somebody um, having a seizure, you having somebody who was choking or somebody that might be having a heart attack, you do something. When it comes to an emotional crisis or a suicide related crisis, we all have to do something to save somebody's life. We can't be afraid of it. We we have to be active and engaged and that is what's going to save people's lives. So it's not just something we send to a hospital or we have somebody else deal with. This is a problem for all of us. It's one of the leading causes of death in our country and in the world for young people. So it takes all of us to save lives, and everybody can do that.
0: I think the key here is to remember that this is a disease. It's not something that is criminal. It's not something to be embarrassed about. Everyone gets sick physically at some time. It's also natural that everyone gets sick mentally as well. And yet, when somebody tries to commit suicide, when somebody is in severe depression, they feel at times like the walls of conversation are closed to them. No one wants to acknowledge it. No one wants to talk about it. They may even trivialize it. Or, if somebody attempts suicide, they are treated like a criminal. I think that we need to start reframing these conversations so that people know that this is a disease and that people should be treated with respect and given the conversations and the resources that they need so they could get better.
1: Yes, we need people to understand that this is a a brain illness. This is something that happens to the brain and the body gets sick and the brain can get sick. It doesn't mean that it can't be treated because it can most of the time we can get people through these crises. Um, and, and they can go on to lead a full life for, for every, but one person that we lose to suicide, um, you might have 20 or 25 attempts. Um, uh, we, we have about 275 people that, that survive for every person who dies, 275 will go on to live. Uh, that have thought about it, made a plan about it, or attempted. 275. So we need to pay attention to both because um, there is a risk of, of contagion for, for people when somebody dies, uh, especially within families or close people uh, to somebody who's died. And we don't want to um, ever forget those that we've lost. I, I personally, I've lost six patients of mine to suicide. I've lost a family member and a friend, friends, multiple friends to suicide. We don't want to forget them. Um, we, we want to pay attention to them and we want to honor them and pay tribute to them and their lives. Um, we also need to pay attention to those who who live with mental health issues, and they they, they struggle with them, but they survive and they thrive through that. And they shouldn't be stigmatized uh, because of a brain illness. We don't stigmatize other illnesses. We shouldn't stigmatize any mental health illness at all. Um, and definitely, we shouldn't stigmatize suicide or those who have died by suicide
0: I want to thank Dr. Riderberg for being my guest and talking about a subject that is long overdue in our discussions. I ask you to please go to their website, save.org, and look at some of the valuable resources they have to share. And if you are someone who is depressed, feeling like you're in a crisis mode, or need to reach out, remember there is a 988 number that you can call at any time of the day or night. I want to thank you for listening and I want to thank Dr. Reidenberg for being my guest. Thank you, Dr. Redtenberg, for being my guest. Thank you, Dr. Reitenberg, for being my guest. I want to ask you. Let's start off the discussion by explaining a little bit about save.org. If you could tell me about the founder's story, on why she started, on why she started this organization, and a little bit about why you wanted to join Save, And head up their mission. But one of the one, but one of the statistics that stood out to me is that women suffer depression twice as often as men. Yet there are three point nine male deaths by suicide for each female death by suicide. Why is that? Has there been? Since CoVID, has there been a shift in the demographics or the numbers of suicide, or the numbers of suicide? From my own personal opinion, I feel that people still don't take depression or suicide awareness. From my own personal observations, I think that people still don't take depression or suicide as serious as or suicide as serious as they should until it hits close to home. I don't even think that many people know the signs of depression. Can you tell me what your website does and the resources you have available? Do you think that there is enough awareness of the signs of depression and having the tools to help somebody considering suicide? Do we know the main reason why people in different age groups or other demographics have considered or attempted suicide? Are there different ways or signs to see in those who are depressed? Are the signs of su are the signs of depression different for people based on their age demographics, such as are the signs in teens different than somebody in their forties, for example? I know as a teacher we always had meetings on how to recognize gang activity, but we never had a meeting to recognize if a student is showing signs of depression. How do we begin these conversations in the school setting? With my magazine, Know the Issues with Lisa Valone, I highlighted a bill in South Carolina where they wanted to have each student ID have a suicide prevention number on it. Is this a good idea and is this enough? How do people become aware of your site? Do, you do you outreach to teachers and government or how do they get the information they need? How are you working with the government to increase awareness and increase the budget to handle suicide prevention? What is nine eight eight? I think the key here is to remember that this is a disease. It's not something that is criminal. It's not something to be embarrassed about. Everyone gets sick physically at some time. It's also natural that somebody, that everyone gets sick mentally as well. And yet, when somebody tries to commit suicide when somebody is in severe depression they are treated they feel at times like the walls they feel at times like the walls of conversation are close to them no one wants to acknowledge it no one wants to talk about it they may even trivialize it or if somebody attempts suicide they are treated like a criminal where a police officer will stand outside their where a police officer may stand outside their hospital bed just adding to their feelings of failure of despair of hopelessness i think that we need to start reframing these conversations so that people know that this is a disease and that people should be treated with respect and given the conversations and the resources that they need so they could get better. We need to start talking about this in the school settings. We need to have more funding at the government level.